Well, good morning. Uh, man, it is awesome to be up here preaching this morning. Hey, I want to just uh, say a couple things. I, I want to start this this morning's sermon by saying thank you to Kevin. Kevin's not here this morning, uh, but Kevin uh, preached the first two weeks of this series. He was supposed to preach today, but one of Kevin's friends, who's a pastor at another church in Blacksboro, in Blacksboro, that preacher's father died this weekend. And so they called Kevin and said, hey, I know that you're kind of in your residency. Can you come preach? And and the fact that, you know, we had two preachers and he was kind of giving me a break, uh, Kevin found it, it, a great opportunity to serve someone else. And so uh, today I'm filling in for Kevin. How about that? Uh, I just want to, he's not here, but just thank him for his, uh, his servant heart and for preaching the last couple weeks. Uh, we're excited for what God's going to do uh, through him and his team in Goldsboro when he goes to plant. Uh, just keep in mind, he's moving in September uh, to go to Goldsboro to start a new church. I want to say thank you to you. I've taken the last couple weeks to rest, uh, to get some new energy and some excitement uh, for in myself and for Restore. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about Psalm 23 passage, man, I just talked about how uh, mental health is so important, and I had not been taking care of mine. And so this last couple weeks, man, gave me an opportunity to just spend time with God, uh, do some things to, to replenish um, and get excited for what God's going to do in uh, 2020. And so, uh, again, I need to say thank you to you for being a part of this community uh, and for allowing me to do that. Uh, this past week, man, was an awesome week uh, for me personally. So we took, uh, so three years ago, this did not exist, all right? Uh, and on March 15th, we're going to celebrate our third birthday uh, we launched in 2017. Yes, thank you. That's great. Uh, God is, is awesome. On March the 19th, 2017, we started a brand new church, and, and we didn't know anything. We didn't know what God was going to do. We didn't know who was going to be there. Uh, we started a church for the rest of us, a church for people who didn't like church. Thank you, Dory. A church for people who were uncomfortable in church. We, we want to start a church that you could be real and authentic. Like someone in the foyer said, we keep it 100 we wanted to have a church where, where um, worship was not just entertainment, but it was something exciting and something that people would want to participate in. We wanted to create a church where no one was perfect, and that's the only way I'm allowed to preach here. <laughs> um, we wanted to plant a church that planted other churches. In 2021, in 20, uh, in 2021 we're going to see the first church that Restored Church plants go. I got a little bit uh, choked up, as is normal, uh, this week when we were with our team in Savannah, Georgia. We went to what's called the Next Level Conference, and we, get, we went there to glean wisdom from, from people who are kind of at the next stage of church and, and try to help us navigate that while trying to take care of ourselves and our team and our church. And so, man, they told us all of these awesome things. It took five and a half hours to get there. We spent a couple days there. It took five and a half hours to get back. When we left, everyone was just so happy to be in a van together. When we got back, it was like, I cannot wait to get out of this van. Um, I found out Thursday that I was preaching, and uh, um, I just hadn't had my, wrapped my, my mind around what Kevin wanted to communicate with this last sermon. And so when I was at band practice, and I'm going to teach you something about the band, about a band. If you've never been in a band before, all wisdom in a band comes from the drummer. And everyone who's in a band knows that that is true. If you've not been in a band, you should join one and become the drummer. 
Um, all wisdom comes from the drummer. So we're packing up Thursday, and now I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around writing a new sermon. And so I asked everyone, hey, if you have a sermon on life-giving words, any of you, if you've ever written one in your spare time, I need one now. And, and our drummer, Eric, again, all wisdom in every band comes from the drummer. He says this. He said, words mean something. I was like, ha, 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 ha. I got in the car on the way home, and I was like, wow. Look, y'all, words mean something every time, always. There is never a time where words do not mean something. They never not mean something. Catch those negatives? Never not mean something. They always mean something every time you use them. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says it like this. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um, Kevin wanted to start this series when we met. He's like, man, I just find value in how we communicate with each other. Uh, I find value in, in Christ's followers talking to each other well. I find value in how we communicate outside the church and how lost people, people who are not close to God, hear us talk. And so he said, I want to do this series with, called Words with Friends. Um, again, when I found out I was preaching, it was kind of last minute, and so I called someone else in the church and said, hey, can you meet me at Starbucks and help me just kind of develop some ideas? I don't know if you knew this, but all Christian good ideas come over coffee. And so we sat across the table, and we started to talk about the last two weeks of Kevin's sermons. The first one was that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the verse from Luke. And so Kevin challenged us to say, man, if, if you are constantly uh, joking and talking about sex, maybe your heart is full of lust. And, and if you're constantly gossiping or, or being angry toward other people, maybe your heart is full of anger. The opposite is true, right? Like if you are a kind and compassionate person, man, your heart is full of grace. If you are encouraging all the time, your heart is full uh, of wisdom. And so remember this, what comes in will always come out. There is no filter between your eyes, your ears, and your heart. And then, some of y'all, this is true, there is no filter coming from the heart to the mouth. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And then last week, remember this, talk less, listen more, love the most. Kevin talked about that our, he used the verse out of James that says, um, be, quick to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. So talk less, listen more, and love the most. And so what happens when we have a pure heart and we listen first? Well, let's talk for a minute first about the person who doesn't. The person who has a pure heart uh, but doesn't listen first but talks first is just immature. There's nothing wrong with this. I mean, this, was, this is every Bible college student ever. When you graduate from Bible college, you realize how much you didn't know. When you finish your first year of Bible college, you know everything. <laughs> it's probably true for every, uh, for every college. You know what sophomore means? It means educated idiot. <laughs> I just learned that. I'm still a sophomore. <laughs> um, it's your children. They have pure hearts, and they come and grab your arm, and they say, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And finally, you're like, what? And they're like, they're like look at this drawing I made. And, and you're like, that's, that's really, really good. You did well. Don't know what it is, but you did awesome. I mean, it's this pure heart, but they don't want to listen first. They want to talk first. 
Maybe, maybe that describes some of us in here. But then there's also the other. There are people who listen well but do not have good intentions. They are not a good friend. They just want to hear so they can gossip. They just want to hear so they know the facts. They just want to hear so that they can be on the inside. But what do you call someone who has a pure heart and, a, uh, and listens well? We call them wise. Uh, they are your grandparents. They are your mentors. They are the people that you look up to. The Bible calls them peacemakers. They create people, uh, they, they create peace between people. They create peace within relationships. They create peace within ourselves. They help us, you know, they listen with pure motives and pure hearts. And look, I, if you don't have someone like that in your life, you need one. Someone that you can, uh, we use the term vent. Uh, someone that you can, you can talk to and they're, they're going to listen with a pure heart and they're going to respond appropriately. Jesus actually says it like this, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. So this morning, like if we long to be positive disciple makers, if we're going to make it in Jacksonville as it is in heaven, then words mean something. Every time, always, words mean something. And so this morning, we're going to talk about three characteristics of life-giving words. The guy I met with at Starbucks, he, he brought up James chapter 3. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in James uh, chapter 3. Um, James talks a lot about speech. Um, James is also probably my favorite New Testament book because he doesn't pull any punches. Like, he doesn't soften anything. He basically tells you like it is. It is a keep it 100 type book. And so James chapter 3, uh, you can follow along on the Restore Church app. You can follow along in the Bible app. It's going to be on the screen in really cool looking letters. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 13. James asks this question, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, check this out, in the humility that comes, that is produced by wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or, or deny the truth. Such wisdom... In your Bible, is it in quotation marks? Such, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. James says it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. The first characteristic of having life-giving words is to be self-disciplined. Uh, I wrote one, but it could also be point number 11. I, I, I'm not sure if you're seeing 11 or 1, but you know what? It can be 1. Does it say 1? On my screen it says 11. Whatever, you can never have enough ones. That's what I always say. <laughs> uh, Self-disciplined is the first one. I mean, the heart of, or like, like the, the everyday life of the Christ follower, you have to make a decision every day. Right? I mean, Jesus says, like, we got to pick up our cross every day. We have to deny ourselves and, and put him first. We, he says to pursue the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and everything else will fall into place. When they ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the most greatest commandment in the world? It's, it's love God first. Love uh, others second. So restore, we relentlessly love God. We recklessly love people, even the people who don't love us back. And we recklessly love the world. And, and so it takes a choice every day. 
But when we talk, how often are we making decisions about what we say? Or is it we just, you know, uh, as uh, my parents would say, spout off at the mouth. And then it was usually followed with a grounding punishment. Or My mom used to flip me in the lips. And man, it was like the force of a thousand horses right in my face. I don't know, she's tiny and her fingers are small, but how did, I don't know how that happened. She had to work on that. But every day, it's, it's self-disciplined. Um, in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, We've not been given a spirit of fear. Your Bible might say timidity. We've been given a spirit of, of power and of love and of self-control, of self-discipline. We use our words for, for a lot of things. We, we use them to sing. We use them to make people laugh, or in my case, try to make people laugh. We use them to inform, to teach, to preach. We use them for signs. But each word that we use as Christ followers, first of all, they mean something every time and always. But every time, they need to reflect heavenly wisdom. So every word you say reflects either earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. And we've got to choose every time we speak. So how can we know the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom? I want to give you kind of like a little survey that I created about how you can tell if your words or your, uh, your conversation is earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. Think about the last meaningful conversation you had. Okay, maybe it was an argument between you and your spouse, or uh, uh, maybe it was um, something that, that you guys talked about that had some kind of meaning in your home, or maybe it was something with your kids, or maybe you had a pep talk this morning with yourself. Those are important. Um, who was the main character of that conversation? Was it you? Most of the time, it is. Most of the time, the conversation is either is most of the time about me. Now, it could be that you were arguing with your wife, but it was still because something you wanted or something they did that you didn't like. Is the last conversation you had about you? Did your last conversation glorify God? Or did it glorify you? When I was in Bible college, I, I took uh, a couple preaching courses. Uh, you have to do that to get a degree in preaching, by the way. You have to take a preaching course or two. And one of the courses, which was my least favorite, but it was probably the most fruitful, um, what you had to do was submit the topic and the main theme that you wanted the, um, the, the teacher. The, the thing you were... I just found out I was preaching Thursday. Okay, give me a break. Oh, here it is. Um, you had to uh, submit the main idea. This is the idea I'm going to communicate, and only the teacher got it. And then in front of the class, you preached the sermon. And then every student, it wasn't a big class, it was maybe like 10 students, every student uh, told, said out loud what they thought the theme of your sermon was. And then it was just a good exercise to see if they matched. That conversation you have in your mind. If a third party were to summarize that conversation, who would they say it's about? What would they say it's about? And who would they say it glorified? See, earthly conversations put me first. It's all about me. Earthly wisdom puts me first. Here's some characteristics of earthly words. First of all, there are many. If you read through the, the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, and it like, you can't go five, eight verses without hearing something about how you use your words. 
I mean, words and how you use them are very closely associated with wisdom. And almost all the time, it talks about how we need to use them uh, infrequently. We need to use them less and less and less. And like we said in James, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Earthly words are often many. They're dishonest. And uh, let me tell you, I've learned this, that if you uh, hold back any other truth, so you're in a conversation and and you don't want to tell the person the complete truth because it might hurt their feelings, can I tell you something that is incredibly selfish? I mean, we think that we're doing them a favor by not, you know what, yeah, it's okay, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Who is gaining from that? You are. Because you don't have to deliver bad news. There's this scene where David had cheated on uh, Bathsheba, or David had cheated uh, on his wife with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. He kills her husband in order to have uh, to have to make it right, right, <laughs> make it right. And so he has her move into his house. He thinks he's doing something. Well, there's this prophet Nathan that comes and he tells them this parable about how there was this poor man who had one sheep and this rich man who had a bunch of sheep. But that one sheep was awesome. And, and so Nathan tells David, David, that, that man who had a bunch of sheep, he took that one awesome sheep from that poor man. What should we do with that man? And David said, kill him. Now Nathan has a choice uh, of what to do. He can say, you know what, you're right. I think we should do that the next time. And who's that gaining? It's just gaining Nathan. I mean, like he's the only one that's going to benefit from it. But instead, Nathan says to David, you are that man. David worships. He repents and he writes Psalm 51 that says, Oh Lord, create in me a pure heart. Um, You know, when we're dishonest with people, we only want to tell half truths or hold back the truth. That's not helping anybody, only you, which is earthly wisdom. Uh, Earthly wisdom is sharing words at inappropriate times. Uh, and in front of the inappropriate company. Maybe, it's, maybe when we have news to deliver, we need to consider who, uh, who's around and when we tell them. One of my favorite things, sarcasm, is when I'm like about to walk in here, about to preach, and someone's like, Pastor, we need to talk. And I'm like, we do? Because uh, here in a couple minutes, i got to preach about something. Yeah, um, and then, look, I know. I want to hear. I love you. I want to pastor you. There's a better time. There's a better time. Earthly wisdom talks, considers time and company. Earthly wisdom considers motive. Is it about you? Why do you want to share the information you have? All right, let's keep going. Verse 17, let's, let's hear about um, heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. And you see that semicolon? It's, first of all, pure, semicolon. And then the rest of the words are going to describe what that purity looks like. So the wisdom that comes from heaven is, is first of all, pure. And it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So second, uh, our, our second characteristic of life-giving words is that they're pure. If you're choosing heavenly wisdom... They have to be pure. And that's, what, that's what James says, considerate, submissive, not, not, not all about me. They need to be full of mercy and good fruit. They need to be impartial and sincere. 
And so in the same way we talked about uh, choosing heavenly wisdom, uh, let's talk about, how, I mean, earthly wisdom, let's talk about how we can choose words with heavenly wisdom. Here's one of the first things you can write down is choose your words. Uh, we've kind of developed a practice in our home, which drives me crazy. Um, I also do it to other people, so I'm sorry, but this is what we do regularly. Is You go to say something, and you're like, hold on. And then you just pause. Think about what you're going to say, and then say it. I don't know if any of your kids do this, but they'll run up, and, and, and they want to tell you something so bad. And they'll say, ah, I'm, uh, um, well, I was, uh, I, I was, uh. And so what we used to do is say, all right, this was the case with Bowen. Sadie just runs up and goes, so, 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 so what? <laughs> Bowen will come up and he's like, uh, we, uh, th- this was back then, uh, like when he was younger. And he'd be like, um, I, I, uh, th- uh, uh, and I'll say, Bowen, pause, think about it, and then say it. And he would pause, he would think, and he would say it. Man, how many of our lives and our relationships would benefit if we put that into practice? I, I can't tell you. I mean, I tried to think of any story I could, and I couldn't think because there were so many. Of times I just put my foot inside my mouth because I didn't think first. I didn't try to choose my words carefully. Remember this. Words mean something. Every time. They always mean something. And so don't you think we ought to consider the words that we're going to say first? Here's the second thing about heavenly wisdom. Listen. Listen first. James already talked about it in in, uh, chapter 1, and I'm not going to rehash that, but listen first. Here's another thing that you should do. Check this out. Purify your life. All right, I I know. Uh, The preacher wants to tell us to purify our life. But remember, what comes in is what comes out. What comes in is what's going to come out. What you watch on Netflix, uh, what you're looking at on the internet, what you allow to be played through your headphones, it's going to come out. I'm so proud of Kevin. When we did our uh, 21-day fast, one of the things that he chose to do was he was, uh, if you knew Kevin, he doesn't really particularly like Christian music. Okay, And, And I don't blame him. Some of it's just not good. Can we just all agree that just because it's Christian, it doesn't make it good? You've seen Christian movies? Yeah, okay, thanks. All right. Keeping it 100, okay? Sorry if you are a producer of Christian stuff. Just make it better. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, that was funny. (laughs) No, serious. Um, But purify your life. Kevin decided not to listen to any secular music during that fast. Um, He only listened to worship music. And Kevin listens to a lot of music, and man, time and time again, he would, he would share with us a song, man, that just really got to him, or, or he would tell us how encouraging it is, because now for him, he told you a couple weeks ago, he loves to make fun of people. That's like one of his pastimes. It's kind of changed for him a little bit. Now one of the things he likes to do is speak life into people. He likes to encourage people, and a lot of that is because what comes in is what comes out. If you're listening to music that criticizes people, if you're listening to things that are about hatred or about uh, unpure things, man, what are we going to talk about? Um, it's the same. So what comes in is what comes out. Um, here's the, number three, uh, or four, I guess, if you're writing down notes. Um, Allow others to speak pure words into your life. 
um, I think one of the greatest things that has happened for me is that I've chosen to surround myself. Now, now this is honestly a little bit unintentional. Uh, I did not do this on purpose. It just happened and has been so life-giving to me. It's surround people around, or put people around yourself that will speak encouraging words to you. They're not always tearing you down. They're building up your worth, even through criticisms. Uh, you need to surround yourselves with Enneagram 2s. Any Enneagram people? All right. Yeah. You need to surround yourself with people who, who will encourage you all the time. And sometimes when they have to deliver hard truth, they see the light at the end of the tunnel. If someone is constantly criticizing you, always criticizing you, how are you going to feel about yourself? And how hard will it be for you to speak life into someone else's life? So you need to have other people speak life into your life. And then, in turn, speak life into others. All right. If, heavenly, if earthly wisdom puts me first, heavenly wisdom puts heaven first. And so we need to make heavenly choices. We need to have eternity in mind with our words. Um, heavenly wisdom means words are few. We do not use, we listen first. We consider what's best in, with our time and our place. Look, if we're going to bring heaven to Jacksonville, in Jacksonville as it is in heaven, it means we have to choose heavenly wisdom. Y'all, words mean something. Every time, always. Look at verse 18 with me. This will be the last verse we, we read to, uh, this morning. Uh, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Verse 18. Third thing, that, the third characteristic of giving life-giving words is God-honoring humility. God-honoring humility. Uh, you need to remember this when you're reading the New Testament and when you're reading letters. The author does not put the chapters and the verses in there. Okay, sometimes there are subtitles that kind of give you a heads up of what's coming. They didn't do that. They just wrote one long letter. And, and those numbers are there to help us study and we're thankful for them. But sometimes they can be a little bit of distraction. So when James wrote James, he didn't stop at the end of chapter 3 to begin a new thought. In chapter 4, he just kept writing. And so listen to this. He goes on. He just talked about in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace, they reap a harvest of righteousness. And then he goes on in chapter 4 to talk about what it looks like. It, it gives us right motives. It, it honors God. It speaks truth to others. It does not judge people based on sin that we're not being judged for on our own. So then he says, so... To be peacemakers, it means we have to make a choice. And that is for God-honoring humility. Now, we all know someone who's humble, but it's not to honor God. It's for themselves. Uh, you've heard of the humble brag or false humility. Now, we need to have pure humility, humility that honors God. We, we follow people who are humble. We, we follow the leaders who are leading from behind. It, it's, it's really hard to follow a leader who's all about themselves and is self-centered. So we try regularly to say this to ourselves as a staff, as leaders, and as a church. At Restore, it is not about one person. It is not about an individual here. At Restore, it is all about Jesus. And we try our hardest to love God relentlessly, love people recklessly, and love our world radically. 
not because of who we are or for the glory of Restore Church. Y'all, our church is messed up. Like, if you want to know the flaws of Restored Church, it's not going to take you long to find it. If, you, if you're looking at flaws in me, you're going to find them. I'll even point them out. And so we make it all about Jesus here. Um, humility is contagious. And so if we are going to honor God with humility... If we're going to honor God with the words we serve with heavenly wisdom, it's contagious. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me um, how these like retro shirts, t-shirts are like making a, making a move. I'm not into fashion. Uh, if I ever look good, it's because my wife bought me the clothes. And I all the time put them on and say, how does this look? She's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, tell me what to wear then. There's a shirt that says Reagan Bush 84. You seen them? Or they'll have the hats, Reagan Bush 84. And the kids wearing them were born in like 96. Okay, now I was born in 88, but still I was pretty close. And uh, so I heard an interesting story this week about President Ronald Reagan. Um, a lot of people who wear that shirt, first of all, probably don't even know who they are, but second of all, um, didn't know that they were, at first, opponents in the previous election. At one time, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, were opponents running against each other. And through the humility of Ronald Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush comes out to say, that is why I followed him to become his vice president. Well, uh, to tell you the story about Ronald Reagan, at some point in his presidency, Ronald Reagan was shot, and so, uh, as is normal, you go to the hospital then. So, uh, President George Bush, or Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, can I just say Bush so we don't get the two confused? George Herbert Walker Bush, I don't want you to think I'm talking about W. <laughs> you know, we want to talk about George Herbert Walker Bush. And so, uh, President, uh, Vice President Bush walks into the hospital bed, to, or hospital room, to visit President Reagan. And he's confused when he walks in the room. He sees President Reagan on the floor cleaning up water. And uh, Vice President Bush uh, called him Ronnie. And so he said, Ronnie, what are you doing? And he said, I've got to clean up this water because if I don't clean up this water, the nurse might get in trouble. And so Vice President Bush gets on his hands and knees and starts cleaning up the water uh, along with President Reagan. And the nurse walks into the room and says, I don't believe what I'm seeing. The two most powerful men in the world are cleaning up water for me. Humility is contagious. President uh, President Bush goes on to have a great legacy, and he attributes a lot of his humility to President Ronald Reagan. So can I get you for a minute just to think about godly wisdom for a moment? We're in a story I told you about Nathan and David. He comes to David and he says, what should we do with that man? He says, kill him. And he says, you are that man. David repents. He writes Psalm 51 and and he's sorrowful. He's, He's remorseful. David, eventually, in the line of David comes Jesus. Jesus lives a life of humility. Uh, he, his whole life is, um, is all about honoring God. And, and who got to watch that? It's Peter. 
Peter seeking heavenly wisdom is sitting in a room with all of the disciples. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And, and, and if he's seeking earthly wisdom, he's not interesting. But heavenly wisdom allows him to stand up and deliver the first gospel preached sermon that is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. Man, that creates this incredible church that starts in the book of Acts. And, and so much so that now in Acts chapter 6, there's this like opportunity for division. It's this racial conflict about which kind of widows are being serviced and which kind of widows aren't. They come to the disciples and they say, hey, we need to get this resolved. The disciples are like, look, we need to pray and preach. And so... We're going to appoint these men who are full of the Holy Spirit to, to kind of take over. And one of those men is Stephen. Stephen is the first Christian martyr that we read about in Scripture. He's stoned in front of everyone. And if you read that story in Acts chapter 6, 7, and, and 8, he, he looks up to heaven. And they say, what's wrong with him? What is he looking into? But he says he sees heaven. And as they hurl rocks at him until he stops breathing, the Acts chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that they all laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. So Stephen chooses heavenly wisdom and Saul sees it. Now Saul, later on in his life, he's headed down this road. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And then heaven opens up with a thunder. It blinds Saul. I don't know if you remember his words, his first words. He says, Lord, Lord. And so Saul chooses heavenly wisdom to say, I'll do whatever you want. Well, then he goes to this man named Ananias. Now, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus had already told Ananias, hey, you are going to help Saul. Now, I don't know if you're following here, but Saul is a persecutor of the church. Ananias is a Christian, and he's like, you want me to go do what? Earthly wisdom says, not a chance. Heavenly wisdom, Ananias goes and, and he blesses him. He goes and gets baptized and the scales, or he washes with water and the scales fall off his feet. L listen, keep going with me. Uh, uh, Saul turns into Paul. Paul starts church planting all over, um, all over, uh, um, 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 all, all over like Athens and Jerusalem and Ephesus and, Phil and, and Philippi. I mean, Galatia, the, the books of the Bible that you're reading um, He's starting new churches, and he chooses heavenly wisdom because time and time again he could choose earthly wisdom and be done, but he doesn't, and he starts new churches over and over and over, and I want to tell you, friends, because of heavenly wisdom, you're sitting in chairs here today because Paul started churches back then. Uh, somehow along the lines, it has led to a restore church now and will lead to a Goldsboro church in 2021. And I like to say that we are living out Acts chapter 29. Acts ends at 28. Heavenly wisdom allows us to speak words that mean something every time, always. And they can change lives, they can change the world, and they have. So if you were to go home today, what would change in your home if you chose heavenly wisdom over earthly wisdom with how you speak? What would change in your workplace if you decided to be a presence of calmness and listen first? What, what would change in your marriage if your conversations were not about you, but they honored and glorified God? Words mean something every time, always, and forever. I want to challenge you, church, myself, and us as a community to choose heavenly wisdom every day because words mean something always, every time. I had a hard time coming up with how to conclude the sermon. 
So I asked my wife, and I said, hey, I, I, I can't wrap this up. And immediately she thought, oh, there was a story we heard this one time. Uh, and I got that story for you on a video. Words mean something. Every time, always. I think probably the most impactful, important words are Jesus' last ones. He's, he's on the cross. He's about to die. And he says, it is finished. And at that, he gave up his spirit and he died. And those words are what give us life today. Hey, let's pray. God, I thank you for, um, I thank you for you and, and for your grace, God, for your kindness, for your mercy. Lord, I, th I thank you for the words that are in Scripture that help us, um, that help us to, to have life and to speak life. God, I pray, I thank you for all the people uh, who have spoken heavenly wisdom uh, into our lives today. Lord, I pray that as we leave today. That's what we choose with our words, to, to give life out of a pure heart and out of listening first, God, that we can be those uh, beacons of wisdom and those disciple makers that you've called us to be. I pray for, for a blessing over Restore, God, that, that, that as we leave, that people, people do see us that way and, and they come to us in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods um, to listen and then to speak. God, I just am grateful that through Jesus' words on the cross, that he gave us life. And so, Father, we are uh, in your presence and humbled always uh, as you've done something special today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.